0: To the just Jiu Jitsu podcast hosted by Andrew demoni
1: and broiler Gracie please enjoy the show
0: well thank you host uh, that's the British host the well not really British host just the the vaguely British host that we had maybe 10 episodes ago paid a lot of money I had to save up again to bring her back
1: and well, I'm, 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 you know I'm happy that you were able to do that for us thank you
0: uh, if, if yeah. people haven't noticed already this is a zoom episode uh with with the holiday weekend here thanksgiving day weekend it was hard for uh for me to to meet up so this this week the zoom call is my fault usually i try to throw you under the bus but this week it's my fault
1: thanks for thinking thinking that one for me
0: <laughs> yeah no problem you you covered entire tracks from all the other times i've done it to you so maybe it's my turn to get beat up a little bit <laughs> it was my this fault week okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was nice and easy. Just hung out with with you know Taylor and my, my in laws and just had dinner and watched movies.
0: So pretty low key, just the four of you. Uh, now yeah. you guys are you and Taylor are pescatarian. So what uh, what is what did your meal consist of? I mean, you can still do a lot of the staples, but
1: well, it consisted primarily only of the staples. You know, which is which is okay. Fruit loops. Peanut
0: butter and jelly. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, no, it was just, you know, uh, there's like a French onion thing that Taylor's mom makes, um, green bean casserole, mashed potatoes, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Is there a, is there a similar holiday in Brazil that... No. No? Did you get, mm-hmm. don't have anything close to that? No, the native Brazilians
1: didn't like the Brazilians so much.
0: Well, I mean, the Native Americans didn't like us so much, but they didn't stop us from having a holiday over it.
1: That's true. That's true. uh, What movies did you guys watch on that day? Um, We watched... We've been going through the Marvel movies, so I think we watched... Oh, I think we watched um, Iron Man 1 and 2. And then... The Avengers and then Iron Man Three, I think.
0: How are the how are like the first generation Marvel movies viewing now after after seeing the they, most recent ones still
1: hold, still just as good? Up. Yeah, they hold up really well. Yeah.
0: Technology, the graphics, everything's still pretty good?
1: Yeah, I mean it's really hard to tell the difference even from like Iron Man One and then like Iron Man and in like the Avengers Age of Ultron. I mean, it all looks good.
0: Which is which is impressive because since those movies rely so heavily on CGI you'd think that you would see you'd see them aging a lot faster because i remember if you look go back and look at if you look at the CGI movies from the late 90s
1: no oh, they, yeah. <laughs> they're rough so yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if CGI has has the technology has advanced so fast that it ages them you know mm mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're
0: still good to watch. All right. Well my Thanksgiving was also nice. Uh and yesterday went and got a Christmas tree, so I started that uh pretty yes. early. One of those nice. things that you just I've never cared about until like you have a girlfriend and then all of a sudden getting a Christmas tree as soon as possible matters. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we probably won't get ours for another week or two. Yeah. Did you, you guys go hear? for your house or one for her house one for my house so so we went
0: cut one down brought it back and we didn't decorate it yet we set it up and then next week we'll probably decorate and she likes to do Wants like wants to string popcorn together and and slice and slice. Tell me if you've heard nice this. One. Oh yeah, I told I talked about it last year. Yeah, she <laughs> wants to slice up don't, the oranges. Don't and,
1: make that and, mistake. And,
0: and no, I won't. And dehydrate them. <laughs> La, yeah, last year I made the mistake of laughing when she told me that, and basically saying I thought that was silly. And then fast forward like a couple weeks from that point and I'm making sliced oranges that are dehydrated (laughs) and hanging them on a Christmas
1: tree. Yeah, this time just go with it.
0: I will, yeah. Oranges are already purchased. There you go. (laughs) All right. This week, we are working through some more listener questions. We're going to start this week off with... This is an email from Grant. Hi, guys. Been thinking about starting BJJ for a long time. I told myself... I wanted to start for a while, but I didn't know if 34 is too old to start. Love the podcast. Only on episode four. Keep up the good work. Well, first of all, Grant, thank you. Uh, you're on episode four. Keep up the good work. I just want you to know, to save you some time, the quality plummets drastically after episode four. It's, it's, it just gets worse and worse. So if you, if you do make it to this point, well done. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, we really peaked at four, so it's all downhill from there. <laughs> uh, but no, what do you, what do you think about starting at, at 34?
1: I don't think that's old at all. Um, no. you know, I think, I think people have this illusion that, you know, some people start jujitsu because they want to continue to feel young. Others don't start because they already feel old, you know? And, and I think it's, it's all in your head. It's all an illusion. Um, 34 is, is, you can still start at 34 and, and and still be very competitive, still get to a black belt, still do everything you're supposed to to do or that you want to do. And also, you know, age is only really, you know, important if, you know, you have goals that you want to achieve by certain points in your life. Like if you want to be a black belt before you get married, if you want to, you know, whatever, some people put weird, weird goals Weird life goals in line with their Jesus goals. Um, So, you know, if you're just training to train, to have fun, to learn new skill, to learn to protect yourself, maybe getting shape and all that stuff, it doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, we had Roy who started at what, 61 or 62, you Mm -hmm. know? So like, and he's still, he's still good. He still hangs with the young guys, you know? And, and, and so, yeah, I don't think 34 is old at all. Now,
0: what, what what do you think the average? What's the average age of people coming into the school? Like when they,
1: I would um, <laughs> see you would think it would be like eighteen to twenty five, but it's actually like I think twenty five to forty is the the more common age group.
0: Yeah that that surprised me too when I started. I thought it would be a lot of mid twenties, but mm-hmm. and there is a decent amount of those, but there are a lot of people in there. 30s from that early 30 to late 30s early 40s so yeah if you're 34 i mean i'm i'm 33 right now i'll be 34 in about five months or so and i think it may become more intimidating if you haven't started the older you get the more scary it might sound but in practice once you get there yeah you're fine at 34 um I, i don't think that's a problem at all next question is from Troy. He says, just wondering if Elio is doing some kind of double flying kick in that iconic photo. I see that photo all the time and time, and I'm always impressed how horizontal he gets at that height. Hope you guys are staying safe. Also, if you're ever allowed to travel to, uh, to Australia, come down to surf the coast and train. Well, Troy, we would love to go to Australia, so we will, we will have to hit you up if we ever make it down there.
1: Absolutely. Just give us an excuse. And,
0: yeah. And as far as that picture, I know exactly which one he's talking about. And I've thought the same thing. Like, what? how does he get that high? Also, what is he doing? Like, what can you explain
1: what's going on there? You know, I, I don't think he was double kicking. <laughs> um, I just don't see my, my grandfather doing that. I think it was more, you know, uh, a show of body control like coordination you know how, how tall you can how how vertical you can get and then how horizontal past that you can get um i think that's all it was my, my grandfather never believed in in striking um and never believed in in high high kicks of any kind so um yeah i think it's just more a show of 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 sheer body control and coordination
0: you know I I heard actually the the story behind that is he was terrified of mice and during that picture a mouse ran by and he jumped so high and screamed I don't think that was it. No, oh, No. Man, I need to I need to check my sources. Uh, okay, next one we we have All right, this is a, this one was a follow-up from Felix who I think we did. Uh, an email from Felix either last week or the week before it was on the um oh he did it about talking about we were talking about turtle and the that the one guy who who oh
1: yeah uh, we was, talked about like the idea of, um the contrasts and comparison between turtling and not turtling or something like yes. that
0: yes so he uh he enjoyed that he he did he mentioned in here something about Hearing us talking, he liked to hear us talk about hawking, running man. But he said that he, towards the end, you mentioned that other people told you that you had a similar style of teaching as that one guy. And Felix was interested in hearing about your class structure and how you approach teaching different levels in like one class
1: different levels in one class
0: yeah i'm guessing he probably means maybe like a like a color belt class where you have oh
1: gotcha 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 um well first i I separate colors from whites um i don't know if that was clear before or not i don't i don't allow my white belts my fundamental students to attend uh, the advanced class the color belt classes um and honestly if, if i had a big enough student body to warrant separating by belt. I would love to do that as well. Um, now, as far as
0: do some places know, separate separate by belt? Once you get up um, to the colors,
1: there's there's only one or two schools that come that come to my mind right away that do separate by belts. Like Hanzo, Hanzo separates by belts, um, but Hanzo also has one of the biggest student bodies in the country, so. So yeah, I don't know that there's many schools that do that just because it's, it's too tough to have a big, a big enough group to warrant that, you know.
0: Let's say in a perfect world, you had classes that were big enough to cater to the purple belts, the blue belts, the brown belts. Would you do that or do you like and think it's beneficial to have them together?
1: Well, I, I think we would do one of those things where you can always go down but never go up. So let's say let's say a brown belt comes to brown belt class and he's learning a much more complex level technique, and he's struggling to be able to apply it against other brown belts during during live rolling. Well, that's to be expected. These guys are also brown belts, um, and he's learning a technique. So there's obviously going to be a hill to climb there. So I would expect that that brown belt would drop down to let's say the white belt class try it on them and then go to blue belts and then go to the purple belt class to to basically sharpen that skill before trying it to to their peers so i think it would be beneficial um you know part of the reason why um, it takes so long to become good is because there's you know there's your own individual focus as a student and then there's the focus of the class as a whole and sometimes if you're a brand new blue belt coming in and the technique is really advanced because that's where we are right now you may struggle with that technique and it's not necessarily super fair to you okay
0: now getting to Part of his question, how do you deal with a class that is so varied where you have people who are maybe a year into their blue belt and you have people who are uh experienced brown belts? Is it how do you make it accessible for people, for the new people, but also still engaging
1: for the experienced people? So we teach in 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 series of, of, of techniques in and in in basically in a chain of, of techniques and what we do is we start let's say you know we're doing like right now uh, July July 6th I think we started um, passing half guard so for our passing half guard series you know we deal first uh, the first I think 12 Eight, eight to 12 weeks, we're dealing with fundamental half guard. Your opponent is playing very, very traditional style half guard. They're not you know necessarily going knee shield or Z guard or deep half. I mean, super, super traditional. And we look to pass a certain way, create a catalyst, a, a, a point of action. And in passing that way, it forces the opponent to have to behave in predictable manner so if i do a certain pass that pass may have two or three viable counters against it right so then the the week the weeks following that technique we go through how to address those counters and how to take advantage of them and then the weeks after that we deal with dealing with the counters of the counters you know and and in. Basically, it branches out from there, spider webs out of there. Um, once we ran, we run its course to, the opponent is now having to change style of guard. right? Because at some certain point, if you beat traditional half guard, they're going to have to switch into a different kind of half guard or a different kind of guard period, or they will lose. And whenever we hit that point, then we go back and we address the next most likely style of guard that they're going to use to counter your passing and then we go down that way so at first um let's say you're a brown belt in my class the first one or two weeks in the series may not be you know life-changing or anything but they're not meant to if anything they should be good review for you well if you're a year into your blue belt or something like that it may be you know life-changing so to speak and then as the weeks go on the for the Blue belts, they may think, "Man, like I, I will never need to do this because I can keep passing how I'm passing and successful." Because they haven't encountered the higher level of defense and counterattacks um, as the brown belts may, and and where the brown belts in the class may appreciate, "Hey, when I fight the better guys, these are the things that they're doing. It's nice to have a response for them now."
0: When you start to sit down and plan out your curriculum for uh, the next couple months or however long the cycle will be. It's one thing to come up with lessons and a plan that is helpful and will be useful information. It's another to come up with a plan that will also be easy enough for the newest and the the slowest of learners to follow. And the, how often do you find yourself once you – in after your plans, having to then like dial it back and go like, okay, I maybe maybe this was a little too ambitious for these people right now. I'm going to have to like slow this down. Or maybe sometimes you go, oh, maybe I can go a little bit faster. Where, where do you, is there always right. a period where you're having to meet reality with what the, pe- your, the people you're teaching to can yeah, do?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if, you know, my, my job as a teacher isn't to just demonstrate, right? My, my job is to make sure that you learn you're able to recall and apply the techniques, so if I show you 50 moves in a day and you don't re- you remember one of them, I- I'm not successful. I've- I failed. I looked really cool, I'm sure, but I failed. So hey, you always yeah. look cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know I always gauge the room. you know my lesson plans and my curriculum, they're flexible enough to adjust for audience. So if I if, if what I think is an easy technique and it's something I take for granted, um, and I start teaching it and people are struggling heavily with it, then I will dial it back and I will shift things into the next week and really focus on the problem technique or the problem step as needed. Because again, it may not be, if you're a brown belt, <clears throat> learning one technique a week may, may not be as much fun as learning five. But if you learn five, but you can't recall and apply them, then you've learned nothing, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but usually, usually, you you know, even with the big separation between blues, purples, and browns in, in our school, everybody can keep up fairly well. Sometimes I know I'm challenging the, the blue belts. Sometimes I know I'm a little slower for the brown belts, but that's okay. You know, it's a little bit of give and take from all sides there.
0: Uh, the listener also asked about, the format we in, in the white belt class, we've talked before about how it's 16 week program. You just, right. you cycle through that, cycle through that, cycle through that. And then for the color belt class, it's much more open-ended and really can go whatever direction you want to go. How long have you been doing? Usually the, the color belt class will be on a certain we'll be in like a certain realm of jujitsu for five, six months and then yeah. switch. How long have you been doing it that way where it's such a
1: big, long course? Um, and we've been, we've been doing that for about almost 10 years now. And, and I don't think we've cycled back through yet. So
0: you say cycle back through. So is there, is it a cycle or is it just a, it's just a constant like
1: trek forward? Well, it's gonna be a track forward but eventually you will have covered all the major positions right and then we can cycle back through so um we originally started with you know back attacks back in like 2009 or 2010 and after back attacks we went to um to have to close guard and we spent about four years in close guard um And then we went to close guard passing and then we went to, you know, lasso and so on. And we're kind of moving that way. So it takes a minute. Is
0: that how a lot of color belt classes are taught? Or in my mind, a lot of color belt classes are kind of maybe similar to our white belt where you just, you have, you just have techniques that you're doing each class that you practice. And then the next week you're doing more (laughs) techniques. Like it, it doesn't seem like there's our our the way you do things is not friendly to it's not like an ADHD mentality it's like no. it's we are <laughs> laser focused on this and we're going to spend this is you're you're here for the long
1: haul basically right that's what i'm expecting um and a, it's a nice, it's a high expectation um as far as um most schools you know i can't speak for everybody of course but from from my experience and from you know visiting other schools most schools don't actually have a curriculum the ones that do um they are they are more on the side of making sure the students are constantly learning something new not necessarily you know, they're seeing something, not necessarily learning something new. So like, they'll move very fast. They'll have like a two week, you know, one week in the bottom half, one week in the top half. And we're just gonna throw as much as we can at you. I've also seen, and a lot of schools are this way, where because there's no curriculum, it's whatever the instructor, coach, professor feels like teaching that day. And, and over time, they, you know, the, the the assumption is that if you're there for a long enough period of time, you have learned enough things that are you know separated that you can put together you can piece together yourself so and
0: that 10 years ago that you mentioned when you started doing teaching the way you teach now before that was that kind of what you were doing just kind of teaching what what you felt
1: i mean i always kind of stayed in subject um it wasn't always as carefully planned so you know i may do like an arm bar season, so to speak. So then it's like, I embarrassed from closed guard, I embarrassed from open guard, I embarrassed from top mount. And, and I was happy with that for a while. Um, because it, it made sense to me, but it's not good for the student, because while those are the same techniques, they have to be set up completely differently from one another and from completely different positions, which each of those positions have their own uh, pluses and minuses, you know, their, their, their own pros and cons. And um, it, it, my, how you would apply them in the scenarios that you would use each of those arm bars is different because of the positions that you're in and the properties of those positions. So, you know, as I became more and more serious about teaching, I, I started taking more and more time to really plan out the classes and, and write up a curriculum and so on.
0: And that switch that you made, was was it just a natural organic um, slowly over time you started to change how you wanted to do things or did you have something that, did you see someone who taught that way? Do What, what sparked that?
1: Um, it was a little bit of, it was a little bit organic. Um, you know, I had influences at the time between 2004 and 2009. I was as much as I could, I was traveling to different schools <laughs> and i would see these world level black belts that would do like dealer's choice you know they'd come in and teach whatever they want there was no rhyme or reason great techniques great classes but but to your average student not you know they they could they didn't have as big of a student body because people get frustrated and leave um you know it's too much to learn and there's no, no no rhyme or reason for them um and then i saw other schools that maybe weren't necessarily as um as competitive they didn't necessarily have you know world-class black belts or anything like that which, which there's nothing wrong with that um but they were able to maintain and foster a better growth in their students than than the big names out there and and i you know i didn't understand why that was and You know, over the years, I I started realizing that a lot of the times instructors teach for themselves and they teach what they want to learn, not necessarily what the student has to learn. Um, They don't necessarily focus on each student's growth. They focus more on if they can still perform the technique themselves. Um... And and in schools like that you'll tend to have a core group of guys that never goes away that are really, really good. But in a school, you know, the, the job of the teacher is to to help the students learn and, and grow and improve and, and, and so on. So, you know, I thought, well, how can I how can I give jujitsu to more people, make it accessible to more people, but not necessarily drop the quality or the intensity or my my high expectations of my students right so that's when i officially separated the white belts from the color belts and uh, I, I i forbade like white belts don't roll with white belts in my school um that was eliminated about 10 10 or 11 years ago um and it led to a better culture in the school better better experience for the white belts then those white belts because they were they were separate from the color belts, I could focus more on those white belts and help them get a really solid foundation. And then I could take, now when those white belts became blue belts, they would have this really solid white belt foundation. But as far as their blue belts go, they would be a little bit green because they weren't exposed to the higher level techniques yet. And, and, and that's that's okay by me. It's okay that my, my, my baby blue belts struggle for the first three to four months that's okay because once they hit the the color bell class there is a an exponential growth curve happening there they they have such a good foundation that no matter what series we're in or what depth of the series that we're in they can pick it up and run with it right away because they have such a good base um so like we have we have a couple guys that just got their blue belts. Actually, we have seven people that just got their blue belts about a month ago and they came into the color belt class and their first day they're like, oh, my God, there's just so much, you know, there's so much to do and all this stuff. But you look at them now and it's only been a month and they're applying the techniques from the half guard passing series. And we're very, very deep into it now, and very complex techniques, and they're applying it just as good as the, the blues and purple belts that have been there for a while, you know? And I think that's because I was able to focus on them as white belts. And and the same, the color belts don't have to worry about having that annoying white belt in class that slows everything up, you know? Mm. Because everybody there is at least as good as they are, so. Now, someone listening to
0: this, listening to you describe your teaching style, especially for the color belts might be saying, okay, I like it. I get what you're describing, but how do you, how do you deal with the fact that you'll have color belts who are in a program where you're only, maybe they've been there for a year and they've only focused on like half guards. Like what do you do for those? What do you do? How do you develop them in their other areas that, uh, that, they see in jujitsu that your program won't
1: be to in maybe three, four or five years. So, you know, and, and that's, that's something that everybody asks. Like they always make this distinction that, Hey, this, these guys may be great. You know, as an example, these, these seven blue belts, right in a year, they may be incredible half guard passers, but they can't do anything else. Right. Well, the, the reality is that that's not that simple because I teach as like I said, as a series, as a system of attacks, as a chain of attacks, and the as they're learning, so as an example, like um, like we did we did an entry from, from half-guard passing, we did an entry to go into uh, the honey hole. So we then branched, we then linked half-guard passing to our leg lock attacking series, and now the students that are learning to pass half-guard also learned the leg lock attacking series. And did I go through the entire leg lock system? No, that's not what we were working on. We we're working on half guard passing, but I gave them a big enough tool set in the area that if they're grappling with somebody and they see an opportunity to go for the legs, they're adept enough at attacking and skilled enough at maintaining um, those positions. Um, you know, we also looked at Kimura. You know, one of the, the staples of Half-Guard passing is the idea of a Kimura. So you can go into Kimura or Kimura trap, and then the Kimura trap is a ton of different options. So my students that are learning half guard passing also are learning the Kimura trap and the Kimura trap. Kimura trap then went to the back take back, back right. stuff from that. Yes. So I don't I, I always keep the focus on the main subject but every time we transition from so you know half guard anytime we pass half guard and we go to the side they have to have they have to learn one or two attacks from side for that pass to be worth anything so um you know will you know so like the few attacks we've done from side will they ever be as in depth as our sidemount attacking series, no, but it gives them a small foundation so that when we do get to our sidemount attacking series, they will already have a nice base and we can build on that. All right, perfect.
0: Moving on, we'll do one more question. All right, this one is from our friend James, who is a who sent us quite a bit of stuff, and I believe it's James from Fort Orange Brewing Company. Uh, yep. Yeah. James says, this question is probably more for Croyler, but what are some big differences and or similarities between jiu-jitsu schools in Brazil and jiu-jitsu schools in the U.S. of A? I guess I'm wondering about the cultural aspects with respect to the schools from each country. Are Brazilian schools more laid back, more friendly, less friendly, more competitive, less competitive, etc.? And then under there, he says, bonus topic. Wrist locks are a bitch move during gi training. Discuss. Wow, he's coming at you hard there.
1: Dang. Um, what do you think? I mean, you've been you've been to you've trained in Brazil and you've trained in Spain now, and you obviously mm-hmm. have trained here. What, what do you think?
0: My takeaway from when we trained in Brazil was it was it was very laid back and had a. Uh, it had what you talked earlier about the, or we were talking about how you teach classes and how a lot of schools teach classes. The lesson of the day just felt like a, like what the instructor just kind of decided he wanted to do. It was kind of a, uh, today we're gonna do this, and so we do that. But uh, that's the way the teaching seemed to me. It was just, hey, we're gonna be more improvisational. Work on what I want to do. The environment was the culture. It was it was friendly. It was very competitive. Like you went pretty hard with people, but it didn't get. It was competi It got very competitive, but not. Yeah. You didn't feel like threatened. Afterwards, you still would like slap hands and like you could you could separate yourself. There's an easy separation from the intensity of competition and the camaraderie of like the people that you're training
1: with. Right. Right. Which is that's always the case here in America. Right? right. I mean, people here tend to get offended a whole lot more. So, like, if you go really hard with somebody here, they may take it as a personal attack, as you're trying to beat them. You know what I mean? Like, versus you're just trying to win in mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a in a match. So, um, yeah, I think I think Andrew nailed it. The, the the big difference is Brazilian culture is very laid back and it's very happy. You know, they're always looking for a reason to celebrate. Um, so, anytime you train the the competitive aspect the the victories and the losses and the the trying to sub each other like those are all very serious like that's like that's something that's taken very serious for them um very very competitive matches as much as possible however, it doesn't matter you know as far as like the the camaraderie after the rolling, after the training, it doesn't really matter who won or who lost because they're just happy that they got to share that with you. They're happy that they're able to train with you and, and and learn and do things to you. And and in America, that's not always the case. You can go to a school where there's a bunch of very friendly people in America and you roll and somebody comes after you hard and you take offense to it. It's, it's very normal, very normal thing here and i think that's a cultured thing people here um see how well they performed as a reflection of how good of a person they are where in brazil that's not the case that, that there is a um, there is a almost like a understanding that we're all just trying to get better. We're part of a team. We're in this together versus here that if somebody beats you, um, you know, if somebody beats you here, it's, uh, it's a personal offense or something that they're better than, mm. you, you know, in some way. And that's, that's not true. And don't get me wrong. There's, there's, there's shitty schools in Brazil as there are shitty schools in America. You know, there's always going to be that one guy in class who may not jive with the rest of the team. But as a general rule, I think I would say that's the, the big difference between in Brazil and here
0: yeah, and i don't this is gonna sound like i'm i'm like I'm trying to kiss your ass but uh but the i didn't there wasn't a huge difference I didn't feel like when we when we first went to yeah the first time I trained out of the country would have been no the first time we trained in Brazil, i I was a little nervous. I thought like maybe this this might be culture shock. this might be so drastically different right, but when we did go in there, it wasn't it it was still i still felt like the way people were acting were they, they were like the same people at our gym. they just looked a little bit differently like they I felt like and that might just be the way that you've Formed our school, but just a lot of people before class hanging out, laughing, joking around, and then you had rolls. You had your rolling that could get kind of intense, but then after that, slap hands and you're good. I feel like that's not too far off from the way our school
1: is, and and that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, you know, I I, I want to be happy when I go to teach. When I'm around my students, I want to be happy there, and you know, if the school's toxic, then I don't want to be around it. So i I've, I've tried for a you know, good part of the last 10, 15 years has been to create a very healthy environment in the school.
0: And then did you want to say anything here to James before we, we end about uh, wrist, locks? wrist locks being yeah. a bitch
1: move? Yeah. Why, why, why is it a bitch move? So like, you know, a lot of people, I've heard this argument before, like, oh, you know, wrist locks are, are, are a dick move or they're a bitch move or, you know, it's it's shitty, you know, stuff. Well, I think what it is, is I think people have a, a, an emotional response to wrist locks like like you feel stupid getting caught by them because it wasn't anything super elaborate. It wasn't like you fought really hard and, and you saw it coming, but you just couldn't stop it. It's one of those that you slept on it and somebody capitalized on it and you feel stupid, right? So the idea of feeling, oh, wristlocks are shitty or wristlocks are, 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 you know, are a bitch move or whatever, that's ultimately you know, if wrist locks are, are, are so worthless and so easy to beat, then you should never be getting caught in them anyways. And, and if that was true, then you wouldn't say the wrist locks are habitual because it wouldn't happen to you. Right. So mostly it comes down out of a place of like inexperience and, mm-hmm. you know, people capitalizing on your stupid mistakes and, and you feel stupid because of that, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, doing something silly like when you're first driving and you hit a curb or something and you're know I mean? like you're like god damn it the fucking curb was out of the way no no it wasn't like you just didn't see it you know you're, you're just learning to drive now or something like that i, I don't know it's a stupid mistake it's that capitalized <laughs> that's all a wrist lock is yeah james so s- stop being such a bully
0: but maybe it is a bitch move. I don't know. Let's just keep the debate going. I, I, I kind of like the, uh, the, the, the little bit of shade that will be thrown at you every once in a while. So.
1: Yeah, just every once in a while.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, that is it for this week. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next time.
1: See you.